here's some reviews for the slaughtered lamb. Four and a half stars, hellish curse, dodgy locals, and delicious customers. <laughs> It is the final week of Dime for Midnight's Taste of the UK month. Carrie, we're cheating a little bit with this one because it's 50-50 allied forces here. It's half UK, half Americans in this film. But it's set in the UK. Yes, a very populous part of the UK. At least half of the film is in a populous part. Yeah. The other half, not so much. Um, I've had this one circled for a really long time when we made the episode guide because it is in my top three favorite horror films ever with The Omen, which we reviewed last week, being my favorite horror movie of all time. This one we're about to talk about at number two and Friday the 13th Part 2 as my favorite slasher at the number three spot for me. These three movies that... I mentioned, well, I didn't mention number two. We're about to, we're about to mention it. Never get old to me. I mean, a lot of movies, um, never get old. It's just, I have to be in the mood for a lot of other ones. And I know we're discovering new ones together or showing each other ones that the other one hasn't watched, but this one that we're talking about today, um, I mean, come on, we've, we've all watched it. You and I have watched it. Our family has watched it. Just about everybody we know has watched it. And dear listener, and I do say, dear, if you haven't watched this comedic werewolf special effects masterstroke yet, well, we've got some prime real estate in a cute but foggy and deadly hamlet known as East Proctor to sell to you. Uh, did you get that reference, Carrie? I did. Okay. So it's time. It's time. I- I'm ready. Let's talk an American werewolf in London. Yay! Oh. Beware the moors. Oh, we're gonna talk. We're gonna talk favorite dialogue because you can't talk an American werewolf in London without talking dialogue. Oh, wait a second! Dang, the male wolf is here. Okay, he's excited for this one, for obvious ancestral reasons. Let's hear what Jake, the Midnight Traveler, has to say about this 1981 fright fest. Case and carry, the undead surround me. Have you ever talked to a corpse? It's boring. I'm lonely. Kill yourself, David, before you kill others. Nice to get a different perspective on things. A voice from the other side, if you will. Greetings, my bros and babes in brutality. It's Jake, the Midnight Traveler, back again to tear into the flesh of another piece of meat here at the cinematic butcher shop that is dying for midnight. The shoe was dangling, and now it's dropped with a mighty crash to the floor. For those of you listening to these in sequence, then you'd know that we were very recently talking about this film in another one of our bigger shows, and if that isn't foreshadowing, then I don't know anything about the mating habits of a southwestern Pennsylvanian mothman, which I do know a lot about, you see. Once again, we find ourselves in the foggy lands of England, and once again, things are getting more than a little hairy. Yep, it's time that we sunk our teeth into the Academy Award-winning An American Werewolf in London. 
a fun mix of comedy with streaks of sheer sadistic terror and bloodletting, this is probably the most famous werewolf film of the latter half of the 20th century. It had all the biggest guns behind it and was ironically a hit with both critics and mutants alike, which is about as rare as a walking meatloaf. Mobile meat men aside, let's get down to it, folks. Heading into the 1980s, John Landis was on a hot streak. He was coming off his third hit in a row and decided to take a little bit of a sidestep for his next outing. It was around this time that Hollywood was itching, sniffing, and biting at the bit at getting the werewolf back on the big screen in America. We know that there were three that were released in 1981 alone, and it was this one, the third released, that made the biggest impact by far. Landis was behind the camera and the script, and Elmer Bernstein did the score alongside a smattering of classic rock standards. Oh, and some kid named Rick Baker was going to do the makeup. Yeah, this one was going to hit and hit hard. Since I grew up in the era before all the terrible things about Michael Jackson were made public, I'd seen traces of what Landis and Baker could do with the Thriller video, and when watching some behind-the-scenes documentary about it, I found out that the pride of Gary, Indiana, was a huge fan of this film, and that's what got him the job. Throw in the fact that I was a huge fan of Animal House and the Blues Brothers, coupled with my burgeoning horror fascination... It was only a matter of time before I would throw this in front of my face and take in the bizarre mix of beasts, boobs, and bushy hair by the time I was out of puberty. Once again, I will eschew rehashing the plot here on this one. That's pretty basic. Two American college students get attacked by a werewolf on the moors. One survives and turns while the other comes back with some of the best dialogue ever written in horror. It's a shame that the three principal young actors, David Naughton, Jenny Auguter, and Griffin Dunn, didn't break out more from this. The three of them had great presence, and all gave stellar performances that were both real and relatable. But then again, at least Griffin Dunn did get to take both the virginity and lose his own virginity to Carrie Fisher. Take that, every nerd from 1977 until the end of existence. In terms of sheer content, this is a genuine masterclass. With cinematography from Robert Painter, the mood was set and sequences like the Pursuit in the Underground and the Piccadilly Circus finale really st- really pop. And those dream sequences? The home invasion one still gives me chills to this day because I've had a few nightmares like that for real years before I actually ever saw this picture. That really freaked me out, and it still very much does. (laughs) And within all of this, Taylor, you still have some great pieces of dialogue that really mix in the humor without turning it all into a farce, which is a very hard thing to do. Landis truly makes this seem effortless. One of the better examples of this is David's first encounter with undead Jack in the hospital. It seamlessly weaves in and out of humor, humanism, 
and horror with incredible ease. You really feel for both David and his undead friend equally as the scene plays out. It's almost a shame that Landis makes this look almost too easy. Oh, and the makeup. Well, you can't discuss this movie without bringing that up. Well, it literally won the first Academy Award for Best Makeup Design, the first of seven thus far for Baker, and set a high bar for the rest of the industry for the remainder of the decade as every new production seemingly tried to one-up the effects of this. I wouldn't be surprised if the transformation scene in the apartment is still being shown to makeup students this day. Another classic is what we have here, people. I'd be surprised if there was anyone listening to this who has yet to see it, and I refuse to believe that anyone listening hasn't even heard of it. Well, it isn't my favorite werewolf of all time. It does definitively rank second and is on my list of horror essentials. Not an ounce of fat on this one, folks. This one is pure pedigree and prime from start to finish. Be like the rest of us on this and take that stroll out on the moors on a moonlit night. Hey, at least you don't have to worry about being cold come wintertime. As for me, I think I will end it here. I've got to go get naked and take some balloons from some English children. Just trying to live my best life, I guess. See you next midnight. Jake. Jake, man, thanks for kicking off episode 28 here at Dime for Midnight. And I'm going to level with you people. I can't remember what we called this episode title, but for the sake of efficiency, and so Carrie, you don't use that xylophone on me. And yes, we've got a new feature here at DFM, a new sound effect, if you will, if I Just get off track. Just to keep you on track. Yeah, we'll see how much that works. Do the fine folks a favor and don't play that xylophone too, too much, but give them a little preview of what's to come when I start getting off track, kind of like now. Listeners, if you notice, this is what you will hear. You are off track. <laughs> we'll work on that one, but you get the gist. Um, you know, I think it's not only that's not only the name of the month, but we're just going to call this Jenny Auditor Awareness Month. That's my title for this episode. Um, you know, Mer- Mare, <laughs> he's not a horse. Male Wolf, we're proud of you. You're just starting to get here early again and again. Okay, no, no. You can go back to watching Witchboard while playing Roblox. Go. Good boy. Uh, Carrie, let's dive right in to this 1981 John Landis classic. Um, we're going to talk about the movie poster per usual, And there's four that I want to discuss today, Carrie. Okay. And I know there's more out there. Oh, especially yeah. you've got the cover art. The proliferation of fan art. Um, gosh. But the the four, the huge. This is the huge. Everybody, these first two we're going to talk about. There's just the one that's got the all black with the blood dripping down. And the blood just happens to be forming the shape of a wolf with the eyes, the white eyes looking right at the viewer. And the classic font. Which, by the way, I just realized I was wearing the t-shirt. That I thought kinda, you did that on purpose. This said, no, I've got my Fright Rags American Werewolf on t-shirt. On t-shirt. There's not a werewolf. There is a werewolf on my t-shirt, but that's not the name of the movie. It's got that font, the iconic American Werewolf font on it. 
there's no other font like that in an 80s horror, I don't think. I know they probably borrowed it from somewhere else, but that's that's the one. And then the next one um, is the one you see on a lot of the regular DVD art. When people think about American Werewolf, this picture pops up of Jack and David kind of looking back at the moon. They've got their backpacks on because they're backpacking across Europe. Just came from Italy, no doubt. Yes. Or no, were they going to go to Italy? They were going to go to Italy That's next. right. So they didn't even make it to Italy. They didn't even make it to Italy. And we'll, we'll get into some of these taglines a little bit later. But the one I'm talking, the first one I talked about, there's no tagline on it. It's just very simple and classic. The next one says, with a picture of Jack and David, from the director of Animal House, a different kind of animal. I like that. Now, Carrie, look at these next two. And I will admit, I've never seen or noticed these next two posters ever um but they're they're out there and one of them the one on the left kind of is it's a poster but it also looks like something that could have been in black and white in a newspaper it's blue or kind of purplish blue it looks like something that could have been on the subway yeah well i even think the next one could have been on the subway too but uh this one's different and i think this one it's kind of interesting. This this bluish purple one kind of appeals to the ladies, the lady horror folk, because it's got David Naughton and Jetty Auger embracing um, right to kind of below the transition from David to the to the werewolf, and it's kind of an expansion on that tagline from the one I just mentioned. Fantastic, frightening, and funny. John Landis, the director of Animals, brings you a different kind of animal, um, and it's got the pinkish font to go with the bluish purple so that one definitely it's like hey no there's some other elements here other than just horror yeah we're telling you there's a love story it's john landis it's funny but there's a love story and you guys know if you watch animal house there's some love stories going on is kind of in the background as they are it's still it's an undertone it's an undertone throughout we just watched a slasher that had relationships galore (laughs) that was it was solid it was a fun little slasher girls night out but yeah. some of the relationships, it's like not much of a relationship because they're all cheating on each other all the time. But um, moving on from Girls' Night Out to the fourth poster, so Carrie doesn't hit that xylophone. From the director of Animal House, a different kind of animal. Yeah, yeah, we got it. An American War with London, a masterpiece of terror. And I'm just going to say, I'm going to start off my favorite. Um. This is this is my favorite. It's got the black background, the pink font. It's got David Naughton in his birthday suit with the old lady in the park with the umbrella. Around the same time, he steals the balloon from the boy in the park. Yeah, um, it's which, based around the transformation. Yeah, Jake, I loved your I loved your balloon reference in your letter, by the way. So thank you for that. But um, that is an even more ominous, larger version of the werewolf on that poster, and and I just love the. I love the mix of terror and comedy on that one. Which which one's your favorite poster, Carrie? Um, I, I actually I have to say, and it's not going to be the one that you think. It's not. Okay. It's the second one. The one with the one where they're on the moors. They're on the moors, and they've got their the puffy early eighties jackets. Yes. Yeah. Those puffy jackets came back a few years ago. You know, I don't like it when posters give too much of the movie away. You know what? That's pretty good. Uh, And I think there's a reason why those first two posters are the classic ones everybody knows. Um, The other ones, it's definitely that 
the other ones are trying to get a wider audience and, and mean, I they did it successfully. That. They did it successfully. You're absolutely right. I mean, I would think that people knew going into this movie that one of our two main men here on that poster was going to turn. So I kind of don't have a problem with them showing him. It's not much of a spoiler. You know, it's an American but, werewolf in London. But you one know, of these Americans is going to turn. But you, Okay, but the problem I have with those last two posters... You know who's going to turn. Yeah. So you know the other one's going to die immediately. Yeah. It's. I still am gonna. I'm gonna argue it's not much of a spoiler. Um, it's a fifty-fifty shot. It's going to be one. Of, it's going to be one of those boys. <laughs> and it's pretty obvious with those last two boasters. Yeah. No, I know. But what I'm saying is, we know who the two main guys are. One of these guys is going to die and or be the monster. It's one of these two. Ain't. Yeah. It's not good. There's no third American boy here. So. I love your pick, though, because it's, I mean, honestly, you can't go wrong with any of those first two. And I see your point about the second one. So moving right along, speaking of some of the taglines on these posters, um, we've already talked about John Landis and the different kind of animal. Um, We can skip over these ones. I love this first one I'm going to read, Beware the Moon. And then I just love the simplicity of the last one, my favorite one, and this is a masterpiece of terror. And then... Carrie, read these last two for us, because I'm I'm kind of like mm, I'm a little yeah. perplexed by the first one and the second one. I get, but eh, it's kind of odd. Well, it's the monster movie. I yeah. mean, it is a monster movie, but it's more than a monster. Well, movie. Well, I can see why it was. There was the novel of this, but I don't I mean I don't see the point. Like, I guess it's just somebody said, "Hey." We better market this as a monster movie. Well, so you put have on a certain movie. people who love stuff like Frankenstein and they love, you know, those kind of monster movies. So you're trying to appeal to that crowd. I would have wished they would have said the monster, the monster, the monster, monster inside of us, the monster love, the monster inside of us. Wait yeah, a second. What are my, we talking that's about? That's my alternate title i'm gonna start doing alternate titles now oh you are you mean alternate tag lines yeah so the mon i would say the monster movie that's a love story that would have worked the monster and a lady fall in love a monster and a nurse fall in love that would have been a good tagline the monster who fell in love yes there you go physical media and streaming uh it's you know what being that this is a cornerstone of most people's collection, you're going to find the DVD anywhere between six and 10 bucks out there on the Walmart, Amazon, and Ebay's of the world. You can find a used copy. They've got some old collector's editions out there for like two bucks. If you don't mind it, just having some minor scratches. Um, but you got to mention the arrow Blu-ray edition, um, has some artwork and some additional features on it um but one more thing i want to mention is if you are a master fan um i don't know what a master fan is you're a huge fan of american world with london and you really want all the little extras check out the um an american werewolf in london 4k ultra hd limited edition for a hundred dollars but i've got it on good authority meaning i researched the shit out of this for a better price go on ebay there's people selling this on eBay for, for 40 bucks instead of a hundred bucks. Don't buy this stuff at full price. Always check out on eBay. That's my little, little tip for DVD shopping for today. But, um, Carrie, any thoughts on physical media? Um, not on physical media, but I just want to say that 
this is a movie that we watch every year. Yeah. Every year. It's part of the rotation. The yeah. Omen is another one. The Friday the 13th, the Halloweens. It's just, if there was somebody that was not into horror or like we tried educating our, our uh, nephew whenever he was younger, yeah, this was one of the ones that we showed him. He yeah. would come sleep over, hey, give mom and dad a break. This is before we had kids. Give mom and dad a break. Come spend the weekend with us. You know, we're going to do nothing but order pizza and watch scary movies all weekend. And um, this was one of the ones he didn't lose sleep on. I think yeah. this you could show this to, to a younger audience, um, you know, depending on what your threshold is and what you're going to allow to see them. Of course, you know, everybody knows of the adult scenes in this with uh, with Alice and David. And um, but no, I, I mean, this is look. There's been a lot that's been said about American Werewolf already, and I, I know we're not going to add a whole lot of new things to the mix of these thoughts, but um, that does bring me on to the creator and cast, because I think that there's the obvious three that get talked about a lot, but there's some other people I want to mention. Um, John Landis, Carrie, the first three movies that people think about when they say John Landis, Animal House, Blues Brothers, and American Werewolf in London. And then the next thing they say is, Michael Jackson loved American Werewolf so much, he had to have John Landis as a director on Thriller. We, we pretty much all know yeah. that by now. Um, I think even our kids know that. But check out what he did before Animal House. Two films called Schlock, uh, about the missing link, a.k.a. Banana Killer. Okay, and yes, you read that right on the guide, Carrie. And yes, it's schlocky. And there's another one called The Kentucky Fried Movie, which is a series of ridiculous... Um, some would say sleazy or tasteless skits. Check it out. It belongs at a drive-in. Okay. Okay. All right. Not. It's not going to be high art. It's just pure schlock. Um, if you're a Landis completist and you want to check out his career, or if you want to think back, wait a minute, what else did he do? Trading Places, the Twilight Zone movie, Into the Night with Jeff Goldblum and Michelle Pfeiffer. Remember that movie? I do. Spies Like Us, Three Amigos. I love the three amigos coming to America Oscar with Sylvester Stallone innocent blood vampire movie, which I know you haven't seen. Hey, Beverly Hills cop three. Why not? <laughs> so he did but, a little bit of everything, but just re- yeah, let's take a minute and remember everything. John Landis did not just the big three. Um, the next guy that I'll just talk about briefly is David Naughton because you know, he, everybody has talked about David Naughton and this film over the years. Um, David Naughton, and I don't know why that took me to Jenny Auger, but um, David Naughton, where do you think of David Naughton when you think of him first? He was the Dr. Pepper commercial guy, okay? Um, yeah, we know him from American War from London, but he did a lot more. I mean, he was in that, remember that ridiculous um, skiing movie, Carrie? Uh, Hot Dog the Movie? I think I've only seen that once. Oh, uh, okay, so... He was in that. He was in a movie in 1990 called Steel and Lace. <coughs> Excuse me. Pardon me. He's done a hell of a lot more. He's done TV series all the way up into the 2010s. Um, if you're thinking about what else he did throughout the, the 80s, I mean, right before this, he did um, two 80s movies uh, called Midnight Madness in separate ways. So check those out if you want to see. David Naughton, right before he does American Werewolf in London, he did some other TV movies and shows. He did Muggsy, The Other Side of Victory, Making It, and Planet of the Apes. He did an episode of Planet of the Apes in like 1978, I believe it was. Um, 
he did getting physical, not for publication. Um, he did the goddess of love. He did, he did an episode of murder. She wrote Carrie, <laughs> um, the twilight zone show. Uh, he did uh, an episode of MacGyver. He even did an episode. Do you remember him in Seinfeld, Carrie? I think so. So he did uh, Amityville, a new generation, which I don't have a lot of great things to say about that one. The first three Amityvilles are actually pretty solid body bags, TV movie. Um, there was a movie, I think in the mid nineties called desert steel, but I mean, he did, he did Melrose place through the nineties. He did silk. Oh, st- he did silk stockings. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know you like silk stockings. I do. Um, do you have any silk stockings? Okay. That's, that's an offline conversation. <laughs> But um, wait, I was waiting for the xylophone and it didn't happen. See, I caught you. Every time you pick up that glass of wine. Now you're off track. <laughs> I'm going to go off track when you pick up that glass of wine. Just mid sip is when I'm going to take advantage of you. See, I got to work around. So um, Jenny Auger, though, what's the next thing you think of after American Werewolf in London, Gary? What do you think of? What's the one sci-fi movie you almost always make me have to watch? Logan's Run. Yeah. Yeah, I love Logan. And you actually introduced that to me in college. And I said, how have I not watched this? Well, yeah, because you always liked kind of quirky any or anything sci-fi, really. Yeah. Um, but man, she she is really talented. Well, talk about a career. So there was Logan's Run. But there was things like, even before Logan's Run, there was Star, I Start Counting, The Walkabout. Um, she did Equus. Um, she was actually, I'll tell you what, for you action or World War II fans, she was in that World War II movie with um, Robert Duvall and Michael Caine, The Eagle Has Landed. Check that one out. She's got a fairly large role in that one. And speaking of World War mm-hmm. and stuff, she is in Call the Midwife. For anybody that's a fan of kind of like drama, um, that's about a bunch of nuns or nuns in training who are midwives. And they service, you know, parts of london where you know there wasn't a whole lot of doctors i need my own xylophone with where you're going for this what the hell she was very good in that so did you know she actually had a small role in captain's uh captain america the winter soldier no yeah i didn't catch that. it's a kind of like a, a blink and you'll miss a type deal but um she actually helped people don't realize this or remember this i mean some of you serious horror hounds probably do she actually helped kick off the 90s as an un- in an uncredited role as a burn doctor in Dark Man, and she was um, played um, I think it was Joanne in Child's Play too. So that wasn't uh, she was in the Dark Tower. That was another one. Now that bit Dark Tower, 1987's Dark Tower, that was a hot mess. Um, she was in a couple episodes of The Twilight Zone a little bit before that, but I mean that's why we're calling this Jenny Auger Awareness Month. And her she's pretty amazing in this movie. Um, Griffin Dune is another guy that. I'll talk about for a hot second. Um, he's a guy that people think, okay, American Werewolf in London, but what else has he done? Carrie, uh, I know you like him in that Madonna movie, right? Oh, yeah. Right? Who's that girl? I love that movie. I keep trying to get you to watch that movie, and you're like, no, 
I'm good. Okay, I like Desperately Seeking Susan, but any other Madonna movie I ever tried watching has been a big just flop for me. It's a, It's got a charm to it. I mean, mean, come on. Yeah. So he was in the uh, After Hours. He played Paul Hackett in the After Hours. That was a good good one. Um, He was in the My Girl movie. Do you remember him in My Girl? Naked in New York, The Pickle. Uh, He was in a couple episodes of Fraser throughout the 90s. Um, He's really, he has continued working. I mean, all throughout the 2000s. Um, he's played some roles in some smaller horror movies or independent films. Um, My Dead Boyfriend. He was in a, a show, um, a TV series called I Love Dick. Um, some other ones, Bittersweet Symphony. He was in one episode of The Romanoffs. He actually was in uh, the new Ocean's 8 movie, as a matter of fact, which I, I haven't seen that yet. There, there's one that you have to mention. Yeah, he had a small role as a doctor in Dallas Buyers Club and Movie 43. A lot of people like Movie 43, by the way. Um, What's that? He played Nikki Pearson, Pearson in This Is Us, which I can't believe I didn't realize. Yeah, that's, that's your territory. Okay. So, okay, we can stop right there yeah. if we wanted to. If we wanted to, but we don't um, with those three, because those are the big three that carry this movie. But let's do a little shout out to Joe Belcher, who plays the truck driver. A lot of people, he's in the credit as the truck driver, but really he's a sheep herder in the beginning of this movie. Uh, he's also has a small role in the uh, 1979 Dracula with Tom Langella, whereas what a lot of women who love that movie called the sexy Dracula. <laughs> Apparently, Tom Langella was the man in the late 70s. Um, I love Langella in The Ninth Gate. That was good. Yeah, the creepy Satanist bookkeeper. But what are the two guys that you think of in this movie? Well, after those guys, because I mean... Let's face it, Joe Belcher's time is done by the time the beginning of this movie is over. But there's a couple guys that come back from time to time. Um, specifically, David Schofield comes back. And I'll I'll mention him that, you know, okay, who is he? He's our dart player, okay? And he's got one hell of a career. He's the guy throwing darts in the slaughtered lamb. And, of course, what's the one thing we say all, all the time, Carrie? You made me miss, and I never miss. <laughs> they're they're in this. Our characters make their way to the slaughtered lamb, and they made the mistake of looking at the pentagram on the wall with by the candlelight and asking what that was because that's not something you see every day, and the room just goes silent. And David Schofield, our actor, the dart player, um plays that role perfectly there's something that these local yokels know that they're not fully talking about um but i think i think david and jack are catching on pretty quickly yeah and they are in peril very much so and there some people are wanting to warn them and wanting to keep them yeah the barmaid's like you can't let them go you can't let them go out on their own and um the other actor Brian Glover, the chess playing, joke telling, remember the Alamo guy. Yeah. So 
he actually, before I go on to David Schofield, I mean, I listen, Google David Schofield. He's got he's got a hell of a career. He's not just the dart player from American World with London, okay? But he's extremely memorable in this role. Um, Brian Glover was in Alien Three, and if you really want to dive into Brian Glover's career, you know, like in suspense alone, not just here, check him out in a 1972 episode of The Frighteners, which was it's a little known UK psychological suspense series that ran for like kind of like The Hammer House of Horror, one season, 13 episodes, and then it was done. Specifically, check out Brian Glover in episode fall. Fall, Jesus, four, four called The Minder. Um, Talking about characters now, Carrie, without getting too far off track with our little side characters. Who is your favorite character in this movie? Uh, Jenny Augeter. I mean, she plays basically our Florence Nightingale. That's a good point. I, I can't disagree with that, and that's why I called this Jenny Augeter Awareness Month. Um, she is... I always had a crush on her watching this movie. And it actually it wasn't until she brings him back to the apartment or the they're walking back to her apartment and he's asking her like, Oh, do you live alone? And she's like, yes. And he's like, good. And so you saw the chemistry was like right away out of the gate. Even I guess earlier, you like some of the moments with them in the hospital before yeah. he gets released. Um, let's move on. No, I got something to say about the scene at the end of the movie. I mean, where you can tell she's just... Yeah, can we hold off until till quotes? Uh, okay. Okay, is there a line of dialogue you no. want to say? Oh, okay. No, it's Oh, not. my bad. Let me just hit your little... Sorry. It's not off topic. Oops, my bad. <laughs> not off topic. Okay. No, the scene at the end of the movie where she's trying to protect the wolf because she really does fall for him mm-hmm. it's just it's heartbreaking and her her in that scene it's just like it says it all so i'm gonna come back to your to the end scene there and her crying at the end saying david i love you um actually no let's talk about it now i know that exists the American Werewolf in Paris, okay, where, um, what is the guy's name from uh, that thing you do? What's the main drummer guy in that movie? Oh, What's I his know name? Who you're talking about. What's his name? I can't remember. See what I mean? And that's why it's the American Werewolf in Paris. But the original idea was that he was the he was their offspring. I yeah yeah okay. Uh, and she had actually gotten bitten by David and there's some fan fiction out there and they were floating around this idea that she actually ends up in the, that doctor, the, who she works for, the doctor that went up to check out what was going on in East Proctor and had the thing of Guinness and nobody wanted to tell him what was going on except for our, our dart player stepped up and told him the truth. Yeah. Um, but the fan fiction and then like some writing that never really turned into pre-production apparently was that Jenny was a werewolf, but they were keeping her at a clinic and that she was seeing David's ghost all the time trying to advise her and their son. 
their son, I guess, like she gave him up for adoption. And then he comes back to try to find out what happened to his mom. And then he ends up getting, you know, turned or whatever somehow. Um, and then they finally like, there's finally a light shed on the head vampire and everything that happened in East Proctor and everything like that. Or not, did I say vampire? You did, I, I say. meant werewolf. See, the head vampire, I got lost boys seeped into my brain. Yeah. I'm sorry. So anyways, before we get too off, far off track with the part two that never was, um, and no, I'm not counting American Werewolf in Paris. Have you ever watched that? I don't it's think really so. hard to get through. It's I don't think so. Because I've heard from <coughs> it's sources bad. It's that bad. it's not. It's like late night. It almost feels like an episode of Red Shoe Diaries. I don't know how to explain it. It's just not. It's not good. Um, it's direct to video quality. Let's just put it that way. Um, well, and I don't not mind the worst movie. some direct to video. Yeah, it's just don't. It's not worth your time, in my opinion. So. Of course, if I made you watch Mardi Gras Massacre, then maybe you should watch this one. You never finished Mardi Gras Massacre. <coughs> Let's be clear. Yeah, I fell asleep. You're right. I finished it. Yes. Begrudgingly. People talk about getting an award for watching the things. You should get an award for making it through Mardi Gras Massacre. Which I did. Yes. I know what to make for you for Christmas now. I survived Mardi Gras Massacre t-shirt so favorite death and effects i'm gonna start this one off carrie by talking about the subway death um you know everyone picks the transformation scene um and rightfully so but i actually love the work that they did making the werewolf move around in the subway um that whole death and they don't even show him getting ripped to shreds but it's the long shots in the hallways leading past the turnstiles up the escalator. Those are some really like raise the goosebumps on my arm type of scenes in that one. Um, But even that said, um, you know, that, that transformation scene, as Jake said, it's probably being taught to this day in special effects class, but I'm going to go with Jack's um, decomposition. Like Every time we see Jack return to the screen, he's a little bit worse for the wear. You know, he starts off with, okay, you could still see most of his flesh, except for the claws, the hunks out of his face. But then he comes back and he's like this decaying skeletal thing. And then when he comes back again, he's like almost full skeletal. Um, I just think the progression of his decomposition is kind of understated. and It's really well done. Um the early 80s skeletal look like, you know, they had the skeletal guy in Creep Show or the friend in the house movie. No one uses that skeletal look anymore in anything. Carrie, do you remember the taxi driver in Ghostbusters when all hell breaks loose and yeah. they're in the taxi and they show the skeleton guy yeah. driving? And they even did that again in Afterlife. Uh, they need to, We need to have more undead skeletal looks in horror. It feels like something that happened for like a three to five year period and then people got away from the skeleton horror. Is, yeah. Am I accurate? Like, it feels like there's uh, that look. There's that skeletal monster look that nobody uses anymore. Well, I think what happened is you have Disney took that with um, Jack and the Nightmare Before Christmas. So I think... No, no, no. I'm not talking like full-on skeleton. I'm oh. talking like decayed skeleton. Okay. Listen, this is a thing. I know I'm not crazy. So what about before we go on that kind of argument... What's your favorite death and effect from American Werewolf? Okay. 
I really enjoy the scene in the movie theater when the dead show up and they're all talking to David. Yeah. And they're all telling him, you know, basically to off himself because, you know, they are undead and they will wonder undead until the bloodline is yeah. completed. Hmm. I mean, you have... You mean severed. Yeah, severed. Yeah. Like, you have his friend, Jack, you know, saying, I'm really tired of talking to dead people. Like, you know. Yeah. Well, oh, I think that's one of our favorites, isn't our favorite yeah. quotes? We'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. I mean, it's a very sad scene on one hand, and on the other hand, you think David thinks he's going crazy. And is he, isn't he? He's starting to believe it at that point as he's seeing these people saying how they died and how it happened. And then you have like the couple who were engaged or the couple who were about to get married. I like how the wife is still very pleasant towards yes. David and the husband's like, don't fucking be nice to this guy. Yeah. He's the reason we're in this place. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, the nice is like the what the nice, the wife is like, hi there or whatever she does in the theater. Hi there. Sorry about that. You know, like something like that. Like, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I have to interject. Yes. But, yeah, but that was that was good that the wife was still very pleasant with him even after he killed her. Um, but for death, I like the couple that go out to investigate the noise. I mean, they step on a body part and then he attacks them and rips them apart. I mean. Yeah, I like the almost like a lion attack sound effect that they use throughout this movie. But um, okay, guys, that brings us. Wait. Oh, well, sorry. Speaking of sound effects, we can't mention this Do movie. Do I have to get that xylophone and start banging it? No. Wait a minute. That didn't sound good. <laughs> okay, what? We cannot talk about this movie without talking about part of the soundtrack. Okay. I think there's a couple of songs we have to notate. There's one song in particular that somebody in your family had the lyrics wrong for yes. decades. Yes. Bad Moon Rising. Yeah. Forever and I see ever a bathroom, bathroom on, on the right. right. I don't get how that was even misinterpreted. I always <laughs> knew it was wrong, but, you know, we didn't have Google but when it's I was fun. five it's or fun. six. It's fun to just let the person go and let them keep thinking that that's what it, it is. It became a point where I was just like, you know what? There's no sense in trying to correct. So anyways, what? so I, I've got to mention this one. I'm going to steal from you. Okay. I, it, it's Moon Dance yeah. for me. Well, yeah. And the shower scene between Jenny Ogeter and David Naughton. I mean, that's very, very, very literally steamy, but very romantic at the same time. Yeah, it's uh, sensual. Yes. That's the word you're looking for. Yes, exactly. Yes. And then we have Blue Moon. Lou Moon? <laughs> Lou Moon, that is my full name. <laughs> Blue Moon. Yes. And if I'm not careful, I'm going to be standing alone. <laughs> I mean, those three songs in a movie. Yeah. I mean, think about it. Well, we can't forget the score to this movie either mm -hmm. because there's the whole East Proctor theme. There's a very um, sorrowful but spooky theme going on with the east proctor um i just love the the fogginess of the uk anytime i see the uk in a horror film 
I love that we're going from the English countryside and the moors to London, but either way, it's just, there's this gloominess about the English countryside, kind of like Western Pennsylvania, where we grew up that lends itself well to horror. Yeah. It's just when you've got gray skies during the fall time, rainy weather, rainy weather, it just sets the mood. Um, and the music, the East Proctor part of the soundtrack, excuse me, the score. Check that out. Specifically hone in on the score. Um, and yeah, it's got a collection of, of 60s hits to it. Yeah. And, and, and oldies, whatnot. But um, yeah, uh, I I can't disagree with any of that. Uh, what about rating this movie? I mean, this is up there for us, guys. This might be maybe out of nearly 30 episodes we've only rated maybe five or six movies in the fours yeah maybe a little bit maybe 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 10 we might have rated a four and we'd have to go back and look i'd say probably a quarter or a third of the movies that we've done we've rated a four yeah um this is one of them this is yeah it's a four and a half for me that's my score too is my favorite werewolf movie same exactly i mean we love the howling it's it's a second place for us it's jake's number one Nothing wrong with that. I mean, I think if uh, I don't, I don't think I've ever ran into the person that said uh, I don't like an American Werewolf in London. I don't know if that person exists out there. I, I don't know. I, I, I yeah. think this movie for me, it's like the Omen. It's going to bring non horror, and that's the point levels. I was going to, I was going to make. I'm having a stroke you again, are. and I'm the one drinking. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for buying that wine. I guess Listen, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it was, um, we had a little anniversary and I got some wine and yeah, yep. Took a 50, 50 shot on 20 bucks worth of wine. I'm pissed. <laughs> well, we still have the other one we haven't tried. Yeah. That one's going to be shit too. I have a feeling <laughs> your track record starting to slip on the wine selection. I didn't Just do you know my that. due diligence in my research. Like I normally have, do. We have to talk about this once. It was recording. an impromptu wine stop. I have to talk about your research on this wine. It's starting to slip. <laughs> Joking. Hey, guys, that brings us to the overall rating for an American Werewolf in London to four and a half out of five medieval pentacles. That brings us to intermission now, Carrie. Um, we're going to take a break in September from our theme months, but like we said last week, this is a hell of a lineup. We've got episode 29, Fright Night for real. And I know we're going to have zombie toots and ghostly puppers on that episode for five or ten minutes to they talk about it. They love that movie. They do. It was one of the very first movies we probably let them see. You're so cool, Brewster. Episode 30. We're talking something a little bit different. Burial, werewolves in World War II. 31 is double date. And again, we can't say enough about that fun Brit gem. Episode 32. We summon the darkness in an 80s ode that has grown on us. Episode 33. Daybreakers. I know you're excited about that one, Karen. Unique scientific take on end times vampires with huh, Ethan Hawke, Willem Dafoe, Sam Neill. Not much else to say there. And I know I'm probably going to rate that one a little higher than you. I think you're right. October is Halloween 25 8, 366 month, where episode 34, we're talking about none other than Killer Mommy. Killer. That's right, 1980s Friday the 13th, the original, not the remake, which isn't half bad, okay? I'll keep saying that. It's up there for a remake. It's really not a remake. It's almost like they combined the first four movies. But anyways, episode 35, fully extended episode, The Midnight Traveler, 
Mr. Jake is going to join us for an in-depth discussion about the unofficial 1984 Crystal Lake Massacre trilogy. Yes, <laughs> we are packing in part two, part 3D, and the final chapter into one episode. And if our Howling and Howling 2 discussion was two hours and eight minutes long, you could bet this one is going to at least be two and a half hours, if not three. So if you're up for some F-13 easy listening while doing those fun fall activities, whatever they may be. Or laundry. Yeah. <laughs> as I do. Yeah, I can't say that's fun for you given the rate at which you don't do laundry, Carrie. Episode 36. Excuse me. Is... I just did laundry today. <laughs> yeah. I got to go back, look back on the calendar to the last time. <laughs> Joking. Sort of. John Carpenter's Prince of Darkness in episode 36. Episode 37, we're doing another full episode with Jake the Midnight Traveler discussing one of the all-time best zombie films, Return of the Living Dead. Do you want to party? I do. I can't wait to do these episodes with Jake. Now, guys, we're in intermission. Stick around, though. Don't go anywhere. Segment 2, Horror, etc. We've got a lot going on in this segment. Carrie's going to help us out, and we're going to talk about the top 10 and American Werewolf in London quotes or dialogues. We are going to read some werewolf poetry, and we promise it won't be as long as the vampire poetry we did during Beach Party Bonfires. And play. <laughs> Where we argue about where is the right kind of length of What's poetry. the right kind of length for a horror podcast? It's not eight pages worth of one poem. Um, and we're also going to do a top ten werewolf movie, so stick around and we'll be back. in the town, in the town, opposite the Rose and Crown, Rose and Crown, and on Thursdays we go down and load the van, with country life butter from the man, grocer man, it's English butter through and through, through and through, tasty, fresh and creamy too, creamy too, oh you'll never put a better bit of butter on your knife, and so the toast is country life, <laughs> beautiful crazy girl asked me to meet her guy before she married him in the news of the world tomorrow and he totally blew my mind nina carter reveals her amazing life as pop star beauty queen and top model read about her nude pictures the only ones i regret were among the first the men in her life there may have been a lot but i don't regret one of them nina tells the news of the world how she had fun and how she found trouble earning too much money getting in too much mischief in the end it nearly destroyed me don't miss the naked truth about naughty nina starting in the news of the world tomorrow uh thanks for sticking with us we're going to go right into the top 10 American Werewolf in London quotes. Uh, and I'm going to start us off, Carrie. Okay. Okay. Uh, we've got Jack describing his own funeral. All right. We're just going to dive right in. He says, yeah, Debbie Klein cried a lot. So you know what she does? She's so grief stricken. She runs right to find solace in Mark Levine's bed. And David responds, Mark Levine? And Jack and me, he's like, an asshole. Life mocks me even in death. I love that one because it's still got the comedic touch to it. And all throughout the beginning of this movie, he's talking about all these women that he's so hot for. And Dave is just like, you're all about women's bodies. Like, what about their minds, too? And he still won't let that go even in death. <laughs> so he's still talking about wanting to bed these women. And... Even in death, he can't he can't get any satisfaction. And David said, "Debbie Klein is so boring." Yeah. What do you want with her? Yeah. So, but what does he say? I'm paraphrasing earlier before he gets killed. Yeah, but her body, you know, 
Um, and then number nine, we mentioned this in our first segment. Carrie, what, what's number nine? What's our number nine quote? You made me miss. I never miss. Uh, the lovely dart thrower finally fesses up to what's going on in East Proctor later on in the movie. The next one is Brian Glover as the chess player. Beware the moon, lads. I love that one. That one just yeah. makes chills me to the bone. What about number seven, Carrie? <laughs> Okay, so this is between the two nurses. Yeah, this is uh, not only uh, Alex, but uh, Susan, the other nurse who's got a very bit part. Nurse Susan. He's a Jew. Nurse Alex. How do you know? Nurse Susan. I've had a look. (laughs) While he was out. Yeah. She peeked under his sheets and his clothes. Okay. That's a little... That's a little... little, Yeah, um, that's a little violation. uh, Yeah. What's funny about the early 80s movies, though, is that the guy would probably be like, okay, <laughs> wouldn't care. Oh. That would never, that dialogue would never happen today. No, I've never. had a look. No. Oh, can you imagine if it was in reverse and the guy, guy nurse said oh. it to a woman laying there? No, <laughs> this movie would get canceled. Yes, immediately. Um, number six, we've got Jack saying, David, you're hurting my feelings. And David replies, hurting your feelings? Has it ever occurred to you that it might be unsettling to see you arise from the grave to visit me? This is when he's in the hospital and he's like complete and total denial about what happened, even though you could see the fade of the claw marks on his neck. And he thinks he's going crazy. He doesn't know yet exactly what has taken place, although he's about to find out real soon. Carrie number five. The undead surround me. Have you ever talked to a corpse? It's boring i love the way that undead jack gets whiny (laughs) it's kind of like like, please come on he's pleading with him you need it's okay you need to end this so we can all move on basically and david's in denial he wants to continue living that that's where this is actually nobody talks about the sadness of this movie and you mentioned that with the end scene you know i love you david at the end in the alleyway but ooh. How about when he calls his sister in the phone booth? I was just going to say that. I, he he's never like, I got love to you. say goodbye to he his mom and dad. He never got to say goodbye to his mom and dad. And he tells his sister, will you tell, will you say something to mom and dad for me? And he, he says come, something to the effect of, come on, you little creep. Or he says, I love you, you little creep or something like that. Yeah. Even he knows the dynamic of siblings bickering with each other. And he actually enjoys it in that moment because he's never going to talk to his little sister again. And that's the last family yeah, interaction it. that he has. It's it. What's happening is over the course of this movie, he's coming to the realization things will never go back to the way they were. There's certain people he's never going to see again, and eventually, this is his own life is going to have to end. That's that's where this takes a sad and grim turn. Yeah, that phone booth scene actually tears me up sometimes. Um, yeah, number four, I'll do I'll do Nurse Alex, and she says. And I know you had to make sure that this was out of care. I know Dude, you like this one. Do it in the voice. Do it in the voice. You mean as as Nurse Alex? Yeah. Okay, hold on. Shall I be forced to feed you, David? <laughs> How was that? <laughs> Good. Okay. And David says, You know this is absurd. I'm not hungry. I don't want any. And then food. she proceeds to force feed him, basically, and she, she tricks, tricks him. him. She tricks him into taking the food, and he's kind of taken back by that. But um, then he smiles. Yeah, and number three, here's here's a little bit of a longer. We're gonna get into some. Um, I want you to read number three. Okay. You you be Jack and I'll be David. Right. 
Did you hear that? I heard that. What was it? Could be a lot of things. Yeah. A coyote? There aren't any coyotes in England. The Hound of the Baskervilles. Pico's Bill. Heathcliff. Heathcliff didn't now. How? No, but he was on the moors. <laughs> I loved that whole exchange. And you know what that does? It shows you the difference. If you're a part of the British audience and you're hearing these two Americans talk, look how much pop, pop culture has influenced yeah. them. Compared, oh, yeah. Because that's one thing that stands out about Americans abroad. Oh. And, and how the U.S. culture has influenced other cultures across the world. I mean, let's face, let's, let's, shit. Be, let's face it. Holy shit. Let's face it. You, I'm sure overseas, when there's an American overseas, I'm sure the Look Europeans the, can pick oh, them out well, how about when automatically. They walk, when, they, when David and Jack walk into the slaughtered lamb and there they are with their big puffy jackets and their jeans and their basketball shoes and their, you know... Everything screams commercial capitalism when you look at them. And then to hear them talk about TV shows and movies yeah. and stuff, they're the typical American boys. Oh, yeah. College boys. What, what else do college... What, I mean, look, what do we talk about in college? Movies, everything, pop yeah. culture. That's where you're at in your life. You don't have any real responsibilities left. So what are you worried about? Consumerism. So, number two. You be David this time and I'll be okay. Jack. Now, I'm really sorry to be upsetting you, but I have to warn you. Warn me? We were attacked by a werewolf. And, and at this point, David's putting his hands over his ears. He says, I'm not listening to this. On the moors, we were attacked by a lycanthrope, a werewolf. I was murdered, an unnatural death. And now I walk the earth in limbo until the werewolf's curse is lifted. Shut up. The wolf's bloodline must be severed. The last remaining werewolf must be destroyed. It's you, David. And then David at that point sees Jack's reflection in the bathroom mirror and shrieks. You're not real. Ah, uh, don't be a putz, David. Come here. And he motions. He walks out of the bathroom and looks inside the bedroom door. <laughs> and Jack says, a nurse, huh? And David says, shh, come on. Emotions and walks to the living room. What are you doing here? I wanted to see you. <laughs> Jack's picking up the Mickey Mouse figure, moves its arms, and uses the high pitched voice. Hi, David. <laughs> Put that down. Okay, you've seen me. Now go away. I'm sorry I'm upsetting you, David, but you don't understand what's going on. I understand, all right. You're one of the undead, and I'm a werewolf. Yes, that's right. Get out of here, Jack. Tomorrow night's the full moon. You're going to change. You, you'll become... I know. I know. A monster. You've got to kill yourself, David, before it's too late. Are you really dead, Jack? <laughs> what do you think? I think I've lost my mind. I think you're not real. I think you're just another part of a bad dream. you got to believe me, David. Believe what? That tomorrow night, under the full moon, I'll sprout hair and fangs and eat people. Bullshit. Oh, God damn it, David. Please believe me. You'll kill and make others like me. I'm not having a nice time here. you got to take your own life. I will not accept this. Go away. This is not pretend, David. I will not be threatened by a walking meatloaf. And boy, does that line pay off later on during the transformation when he says, I'm sorry I called you a meatloaf, Jack. <laughs> that, was, that, that was the best exchange right there. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I actually think that number one is Jenny Auger saying to him in the alleyway, I love you, David. Yeah. You know, as she's crying, because that yeah. that just wraps up the whole movie on a very sad note. Um, and I'm I'm paraphrasing right there, but I, I think it, I just changed my mind on what number one should be now that you, we went through all that. You have really you have this at the beginning of the movie, this high energy. Yeah, type I see of where movie, you're going. That's a good point. And you end it on this really depressing, sad note. And it's it's like you don't realize how much of a descent you've been on since yeah. the start of this movie. It's like a slow you've got these decline. two college boys singing in the countryside, having a grand old time on their on their trip. Two American boys, you know, lots of opportunity, their whole life in front of them. What's their biggest worry? Whether or not they can get a girl? Yeah, basically. Yeah, you know. Um, and then it ends with having to end your life. Whew. <laughs> Now that I'm royally depressed by an American War of London, which I absolutely but the movie love. doesn't make you feel like it does a good job in not making you so depressed after you watch it, though. Yeah, like that's that's a thing you have to talk about. Is that while it is a depressing ending, you're on this ride and you don't feel like you're so depressed after watching it. Hmm, that's a good point. Um. I just wish like maybe they had some novels that I could read like the, I want to see what what's going through Jenny's mind after all this. I mean, I know it'll probably be sad, but like I would imagine let's forget about the sequels that never were. If I were to write, if I would want to see like a journal from uh, Jenny Auger's character, I would want her and the doctor to be further investigating what's going on in East Proctor after all this. And I'm going to go one step further and I'm going to say... How about the policeman that witnessed all this? Holy, yeah. I mean, holy shit. I, I'm going to go one step further and I'm going to say I would like to see somebody take on the scientific research to try to cure it. That's an interesting take. I wouldn't want to go too far down that angle, but I, I definitely like, okay, if the doctor is going to be a character in this kind of pseudo sequel that we're talking about... Then I could I could see that, but I think I think that that's where the police and the doctor maybe even kind of go vigilante and take into their own hens the hens chickens take into their own hands forgive me and do some vigilante justice and find out the source of all this in East Proctor the doctor kind of knew about it but now the events of what just happened in David's death now means that somebody's got to figure this out or yeah. it's going to keep happening yeah. Um, and how did this happen to begin with? You gotta I wonder. I remember, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have like an old, <laughs> I'm gonna have an old horror fart moment. I remember on the IMDb days, people had argued that that shepherd herder, the truck driver, was the was the werewolf, was the guy that got shot on the moors that turned David. I don't think that's the case, but I could see why people thought that. Or like he's another werewolf. It's kind of like it's kind of like using, um, like like the sheep herder is a device, like the voice, a device where he's saying he's taking he's taking the sheep, the lambs to the slaughter, the slaughtered yeah. lamb. I assume they make that comment in the bar. He's like, oh, that's just the dogs. 
and you say the dogs are just fine. That means that there's more than one werewolf. Okay, and I'm paraphrasing again, but they made the point about checking on the dogs. Okay. I never, I never okay. went too deep into that. I know. Well, he purposely tells him he's going to go check on them, and he said, don't worry, they're fine. Yeah. Maybe that was just in reference to the one werewolf guy. There's more going on at East Proctor. It doesn't, I don't think that this just ends with David dying. Well, you have the entire village, for lack of a better term, and I would call it a village. Did somebody at one point 20 years ago ever leave that village that had it? Yeah. Okay. You have this entire village who is haunted by this bloodline and this curse. Yeah. Where did that, where did the guy that, that turned David get it from? Yeah, that's exactly. what I mean. That's where you have to go back. You could go Anyways, back and have a prequel. I'm going to have to start tapping on that xylophone because we're getting off track. We do have a couple honorable mention quotes um, or dialogue. And I'm, I'm going to just kind of go backwards in time on this movie, even though we've went from start to finish. I love this one. To your point, they walk into the slaughtered lamb. And um, David's talking about they, they notice that um, pentagram. And he says it's a pentangle, a five-pointed star. It's used in witchcraft. Lon Chaney Jr. at Universal Studios said that's the mark of the Wolfman. I love that they inserted, that Landis inserted the movie lore. Yeah. The werewolf movie lore within the movie. So that got a little meta right there, right? Um, The next honorable mention. I've got to do our chess player. I've got to do the whole joke. Okay, I have to. Where he's talking, he's saying, there was this airplane over the Atlantic on its way to New York. It was full of men from the United Nations. And they're all sitting there having their pints. So halfway over the ocean, the engines run low on petrol. So they have to lighten the plane. So they heave out all the baggage, 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 but it's still too heavy. So they chuck out the seats, but it's still too heavy. Finally, this froggy steps up and shouts, Viva la France, and leaps out. Then an Englishman steps out and shouts, God save the queen, and leaps out. But the plane is still too heavy. So the Yank delegate from Texas steps up, shouts, remember the Alamo, and chucks out the Mexican. <laughs> That's there's so, so wrong with that. <laughs> I know, but it's, it's one of the more memorable, lengthy pieces of dialogue from this movie. And there's like 30,000 things of dialogue you could pull and say, what a great moment. It's an American werewolf in London. It's a fucking classic. So now, folks, we're going to go into four pieces of poetry. Now, Carrie, I'm going to let you start off with the first one. Okay. Wild Werewoman, a Force. By Karen Kretzinger. Cool. Okay. Sounds interesting. A Force. Wild werewomen roaming in the hills, quiff dwellers around, avoiding banshee ghost riders, sniffing for them in the earthy ground, shushing there were pups, lest their hidden, unnatural selves be found. Banshee ghost riders suddenly shush, listening to a baby werewolf sound. Heading toward a large crevice, which leads to a cave way down underground. Werewomen seal it up quickly after each banshee rider had ridden way down. An instant banshee ghost rider graveyard, and these riders are never again found. The prediction of the night hawks to whom the werewomen were forever bound is that when it comes to banshee ghost riders and werewomen, the cagiest are easy 
easily found. And if there are caverns and cliffs that are the least bit scary in or near your mountain town, you had better stay safe in your bed with the blankets pulled up safe and cozy and sound. As wild werewomen are more devious and dangerous than werewolves, and totally honor-bound, they can also throw their voices many hundreds of kilometers and imitate baby werewolf sound, <laughs> which is how they tricked the ghostly banshee riders who are now trying to breathe in vain underground. And if you do not believe me, or you think you will survive it, you are the bravest man in town. But if you choose to hunt for this kind of trouble, stand ready to never ever be found. <laughs> there is a were woman right now peeking in your window. You would do best to not make a sound, for if she notices you and comes through that window, you will soon be lying underground. I like that one. That was fun. Banshee Riders versus the Werewolf Woman. Nice. <clears throat> I'm going to read the next one called The First Full Moon by Christy de la Cure. Okay. Almost a month since that fateful night that I was bitten under the full moon's light. I am still here, but with a yearning and wonder why a fever is burning. I feel pulled out into the night's air, hoping that someone will hear my prayer. I look up into the night's black sky and realize why I so want to wail and cry. For there I see the full bright moon hanging there like a golden balloon. As I look, I feel like I am on fire and know my situation is most dire. Oh God, most agonizing pain. As my bones begin to strain and my flesh begins to rip, I cannot seem to get a grip. I open my mouth to scream, but for me that does not stream. Tis something that is so foul, as I recognize it is a howl. Oh God, this can't be. What is happening to me? Blood pulses through my veins as new thoughts slam into my brain. I have a brand new vision, one that gives great precision. Oh, what a great sense of smell, a feeling of anticipation I can't quell. I can't even believe my new speed, but it is blood that I do so need. Time for me to go on the hunt. As I begin to run, I let out a grunt. <coughs> I stop and sniff as a scent comes to me. Oh me, oh my, who is it? Let us see. I turn in werewolf form to see who is here, as I thought I caught Mr. Loving's fear. Tis blood that I do need. Time for me to feed. He senses me and runs away. I smile as I give chase to my prey. Mortals, mortals, everywhere, of all immortals do beware. Run and hide if you can. On the loose is this very lichen. Okay, and the next <coughs> one is Call of the Werewolf of Vid Bedosa. Call of the Werewolf Call of the Werewolf Beneath the cobblestones as Paris sleeps The dead awaken rising from the dust Into a world where no one ever keeps The track of time and rise again they must 
extracted from the ashes of the dead. They search for innocence they might find there. They'd sing a song, but how the howl instead, forgetting time and what has brought them here. The innocence they find complete their quest. Those children of the night who lose their way, forgotten from all time, they take their rest too deep in the night, too far from the light of day. Not fearing death, they lose their way tonight and near the sun, the werewolf sees it all from darkest dark and far from any light. Another innocent has heard the call. Nice. <laughs> is nice a part of the poem? No, just that's a nice end. <clears throat> okay, here's our last one, folks. Last werewolf poem for this episode, anyways. This one is called... Did I close it already, darn it? Mm, I think I did. Sorry for the delay, folks. Here we go. There is the author, Mandy Tams, the golden girl, called The Lover's Moon. How do we meet under a lover's moon? What does this moon look like? Will it give me a lover? Will it send me on my bike? Why be under a lover's moon? Does it imbibe powers of prowess? Of does it hide their shyness in a state of near undress? A harvest moon, a blue moon, a waning and a waxing one, a new moon, an old moon, and yet only one precious sun. People cast their seed on the first full moon in spring. They say it gives the best crops. And that's saying something. There are dances in the moonlight for those with nefarious thoughts. Bet they'd get a fright when lycanthropes rampage and cavort. On the night the moon is full, what a shock for all the lovers. A werewolf jumps on them, just as their delights each uncovers. So blue moon, new moon, harvest moon of just fool, which is the lover's moon, so my dreams I can fulfill. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh, that was that was a little and a little spine dangling. <laughs> so um sorry, that was like kind of one part sexy, one part maniacal there. I love it. Now we're gonna move on from steamy, sexy, and hairy to our top ten werewolf movies. And we have some honorable mentions. Okay. Carrie, what's number ten? Cursed. I love that one. West Ricci. Yeah. And who else? Not even just Christine Ricci. I'm blinking. Who did we just watch in Zombieland, Carrie? Oh, yes. Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. Who else is in that movie? There's another J in that movie. Joshua Jackson. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Big Pacey fan. You're about to say something else. <laughs> Listen, we're going to move on to number no, nine. No, 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 no. You said it. Bring it up. Nope. We ain't going nope. there. You say it. Hey, you're getting off track. <laughs> okay. You got to say it. You can't just say something and then not say it. Number nine no. is Wolf with Jack Nicholson and Michelle Pfeiffer and James Spader. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> This oh, he's movie. He's good at playing a bad guy. <laughs> James Spader's good at playing a douche, and this time you get to watch him as a douchey werewolf. He's a maniacal douche. Um, 
my only problem with this movie is the fight that his werewolf and Jack Nicholson's werewolf have. It gets a little cheesy towards the end. It, let's it be real. It still makes for a good movie. Let's be real. Okay. <laughs> if you really had James Spader and Jack Nicholson fighting as <laughs> wolves, <laughs> let's think about this. The young wolf is stronger. Yes. The older wolf is wiser. Correct. There's a debate on whether or not the old wolf would really survive. Let's let's think about it. No, let's not think about it. I don't want to spend too much time on a James Spader werewolf. Yes. I love Wolf. I love the movie. Yeah, it's good. And I good. love how at the end it hints that Michelle Pfeiffer is now wolf. Yes, yes. She make a badass wolf. I love the whole he visits the guy for the talisman that he's got to wear around mm-hmm. his neck. That was a good wolf man nod in that movie. Yeah. It, wolf really was the mid-90s wolf man. It really yeah. was. Like when you watch the movie, you're like, oh, this is a great updated version of the wolf and man. And we're not talking about the remake. No, no, the original, the, the yeah. Lon Chaney one. Um, number eight. Carrie. The Wolf of Snow Hollow. And I believe that was Robert Forrester's last film, which is really fucking cool that it was a werewolf yeah. movie. I mean, Robert Robert Forrester, it could have been like Macbeth, and I would have been like, hey, it's Robert Forrester. <laughs> but um, if you guys haven't watched that one, that one's come out. I can't remember what year, but it's the past three to five years that one's come out. And that one, that was pretty entertaining. I remember us yeah. liking that one. So number seven, Carrie, this one's all you because I know you love this one. I love one. this one. How? It's Werewolves on a Train. Yes. In the Ooh. UK, no doubt. Yeah. <clears throat> this one, it's got action. It's got, you know. The characters. Characters. It's very character driven. You yeah. get to know the characters. You get to care about the characters. There's not a lot of transformation, but it's, it is gnarly. It's the, like the, a whodunit too no i disagree with you there i mean we know who did it they're there on the train right well listen but they don't know who oh yeah but that's only a small part of the movie but it it, to me okay this is where i'm gonna go off topic for a minute it's like (laughs) to me it felt like an agatha christie movie you're off track (laughs) (laughs) no it did but that's only because of the train come on but it it's solving it's a, not mystery a, it's not a mystery on a train it's not a mystery yes it that is. mystery lasts all 15 minutes check it's it still I'm a right. mystery no doesn't count no, i disagree with you listen we're moving on to number six dog soldiers that one actually what's funny enough is i've been getting more people saying they don't like dog soldiers lately which is weird because i thought it started off just okay, and then it gained a following, and now people are like, eh, dog soldiers are just okay. It's been weird. Maybe that's just my experience. Carrie, what about number five? Silver Bullet. Corey Haim. Yep. Stephen King, the take on Stephen King's novel. Um, dude, I fucking love Gary Busey in this movie, and I just love the fact He's that- fucking crazy. Half, the mo- half of this movie is revolved around him souping up his wheelchair- <laughs> And making it like a really fast go-kart. I loved that as a kid. You can imagine as a little boy watching him in that wheelchair, zooming around with the big exhaust on the back. I mean. Yeah. Number four, Carrie, is what? Woofin. That's a great one. And uh, Tom Noonan is fun in that one. Um, Who's the main guy who plays the uh, detective in that? Uh, Finney. Yeah. Alfred Finney. Albert. Albert Finney. What did I say? Alfred? You know why? Because we just watched The Uninvited. Which 
if you haven't yeah watch if you pick are, up the criterion collection if you are a fan of hammer movies yeah i, I, I would say if, yeah if, this if, is like this is like hammer before hammer i could see where you're yeah. going with that but yeah, the uninvited pick up the Criterion Collection one. It is um, black and white. It's not a lot of big names in it, but um, yeah, it, it's it's the quintessential ghost haunted house movie. And the special effects for that time frame were really impressive, actually. Definitely the cousin of the Changeling. That's how I look at that movie. But um, number three, Carrie. What else? The Wolfman. The original Lon yeah. Chaney. They reference it heavily in American Werewolf. You wouldn't <clears> have <throat> any of these movies without that movie. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? The remake had so much potential and it was wasted on CGI. Yeah. Like, I'm actually surprised that Benicio Del Toro and Anthony Hopkins agreed to it with the CGI. I would have said, um, are you... It's got to be practical. Yeah. Are you going to get the practical effect guys to do this right? Can you imagine if they actually did that? Um, Somebody wait a little while and take a better stab at the Wolfman, please. Um, Or... Do your own original werewolf movie. Number two, excuse me, Jake, this one's for you. What else? The Howling. <clears throat> no, I'm not going to mention the other Howling that neither you nor Jake seem to appreciate. But anyways, number one, Carrie, what else? An American werewolf in London. Hey, guys, honorable mention to The Beast Must Die, Where Wolf Cop, Here's two that are not horror movies whatsoever, but they still have really great transformations. What are the next two, Carrie? Teen Wolf and Teen Wolf 2. Yep. Those are, I just, it's like, if I think of Werewolf in the 80s, that will come to mind almost immediately. Uh, even though they're not horror, they're more comedy with werewolf elements. But um, They're horror adjacent. You know what? There's the scene... I'll t- let me tell you something about Teen Wolf and, and the horror moments that are in. They're very small. They don't last long, but they're very effective when they're on screen. There's two of them. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> there is the bowling scene. Yeah. When Scott, when Mick gets Scott really enraged and he throws the bowling ball and he says to the effect of I'm paraphrasing just like when I shot off your mom's head with a shotgun isn't that right Scotty yeah you know after she was chasing chickens in the backyard so it's kind of like wait a second is there this whole backstory where Scott's mom was a werewolf and and dad and that well we know the dad is a werewolf but like something happened with Scott's mom she's dead and gone yeah why did Mick mention his mom in that moment? So yeah. there's some other story there that they don't divulge at all. And so that one was like, ooh, what's that about? And that got me thinking. The one where he transforms in the bathroom, that's a horror moment. Wherever he's in the bathroom and he doesn't want his dad to realize yeah. that he's turned into a werewolf. Yeah. And it ends with, jeez Louise. But the whole music, when he's getting out of the van, it looks like he's going to throw up. Yeah. He looks sick and he's got yeah. the cold sweat going yeah. and he's hurried up. He's and burning the up. The dad's like, what's going on? You just walked through the door. Hold on. I want to talk to you. And the dad knows. The, the dad, dad knows. recognizes the, dad the knows. signs. Yep. Yep. And then there's also another scene. It landed scene. right on my face. There's yeah. also another scene that yeah. you're forgetting about between the dad and the principal. 
Yes, at the dance. Oh, yeah. He and threatens the boy, the does that movie had a lot of fun songs in the soundtrack. Yeah. Yep. Flesh is on Fire, Big Bad Wolf, um, Win in the End. But yeah, no, it's like, you're going to leave Scott alone. He's been through a lot. And then he like growls at him. Mm-hmm. And his eyes turn, turn red. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know what? That's another little horror moment in Teen Wolf. Okay. Where give me a keg of beer. And he, the guy's ready to piss himself. Yeah. He ends up with the keg when nobody else could get it. Not even Styles.